Eternal God, we do thank you for the gift of worship. Thank you for the inspiration of people who are willing to share their gifts with us, to be vessels of, of you and praise to you. And Lord, thank you for, well, this service, the people who gather at this early service want to start their day off right and begin the day with you. It's a special group, Lord, and for them, I give you thanks. And Lord, you've given to me right now the amazing privilege and responsibility of preaching your word to these, my friends, and your servants, Lord, a task I always need your strength in order to do. So, Lord, please speak to me and through me in such a way that all of us do receive a word from you that will make a difference to our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, today I'm going to answer a critical question for you that I bet no one has ever answered. And the answer just might change your life. It may make a huge difference to you. And again, I bet no one has ever answered this question. The the question is this. Why should you pledge and give your money to the church? Now, if someone came up to you today after worship and said, why do you give your money to the church? What would you say? Would your answer be compelling? Would it be convincing? Well, this morning, you're going to get a compelling and convincing answer. Now, if you're a visitor with us today, I bet you were begging and hoping the preacher would get up and talk about money and giving today. Amen? I know you were just dying for it. Well, here's the truth. Two things for those of you who are visiting with us today. First of all, you're off the hook. Feel no pressure, obligation whatsoever to pledge or give anything. You are our guest. Welcome. But also this. The scope of this sermon is larger than money. And if you'll just bear with me this morning, I believe you'll feel that you're glad you came. And I bet also you'll want to come back. And that goes for the rest of you. For those of you who are committed, faithful followers of Jesus Christ within this church, if you listen to the message today, you're going to be proud of this church. And I bet some of you will be motivated to give or pledge even more, perhaps. So why should you pledge? Why should you give to the church? Really, why? Has anyone ever truly answered that question for you? No, I'm sure you've heard preachers Try to raise money through building campaigns and, and building programs and all that. I'm sure you've, you've heard sermons on giving. It's better to give than to receive. I'm sure you've been through your fair share of slick stewardship campaigns with letters and slogans and brochures. I'm sure you've heard lessons on generosity. But I bet you've never heard anyone tell you exactly why, a compelling reason why you should pledge and give your money to the church. And we need to know why. Because one of the things I've learned about people as I've been in ministry and been a part of the church, is that people give to why. They don't give to what? People don't invest in what you do. They invest in why you do it. And until you truly understand why, no one is really motivated to give. And we need to know why. We all need to know why. Because there is a lot of different options out there when it comes to giving money. Amen? I mean, you have colleges and universities. There's one right here, a pretty big one. It's always giving out letters and invitations to give money, to donate. There are nonprofits all over the place begging for money. 
There are kids who sell those chocolate bars all the time for some kind of worthy cause. The schools are always asking for money. And you hear it all the time. Those Girl Scouts, they're always there asking for money over and over again. And then you get a preacher who sends you a letter in the mail. Would you please pledge and give? Please pledge and give. And then the preacher gets up on a Sunday morning, if you can believe it, and says, would you please pledge? Would you please give? You can't give to all of them. You'd go broke. So why should you pledge? Why should you give to the church? When you hear why this morning, you'll never think twice again about pledging and giving to the church. I promise. When you hear why this morning, well, quite honestly, you'll think to yourself, why didn't I pledge more in the past? Why didn't I give more? When you hear why this morning, it might change your view of the church. When you hear why this morning, you just might up your pledge. So to get to why this morning, I want to lift up two particular passages of Scripture. And when you hear these passages, they're the kind of passages where you, you hear them and you say, wow, did, did that really happen? That's amazing. The first is when Jesus spoke to his disciples in the upper room, right before he was taken away and crucified. It was his last lecture, really. His final words to his disciples before he was taken away. And I bet Jesus gave a great deal of thought to what he was going to say to his disciples that time. And here we have Jesus talking to the disciples about their influence, their kind of influence once he was gone. And here it is. It comes from John chapter 14, verse 12. Take a listen to this and look at this. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do and in fact will do greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Did you see that? Jesus said, the one who believes in me will do greater works than me. And you may be thinking, well, how in the world is that possible? When we think of all that Jesus Christ has done, when we read about all that Jesus Christ has done, how in the world can we do greater works than him? Well, it's real simple. When Jesus was doing ministry on earth, he was limited. He could only teach to a group at a time or heal one person at a time. But when Jesus ascended to the Father, His Holy Spirit filled His disciples and filled His church. And His influence multiplied and multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. So the last 2,000 years, the church has literally done greater works than Jesus Christ because of the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. Here's the second text. And it reinforces what Jesus said. It comes from the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul is underscoring the importance of the role of the church. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. Now look at this. Paul is direct. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Can we say that together? Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You know what that means? As you sit here in worship today, pondering whatever you're pondering, we are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Think about that. Christ is the head and we are the body. Now, when we fully understand these words, what Jesus said and what Paul said, we realize 
we realize that First Church of Lakeland is not a nonprofit. It is not a charity organization. It is not a concert hall. It is not an event center. It is not a recreational center. First Church Lakeland is the body of Jesus Christ, is part of the body of Christ. We are God's chosen vessel in the world. We are God's change agent in the world. And when you reflect on that and really let that sink in, the compelling for me, the most convincing reason for me why we pledge and give emerges, and it is this, and I don't want you to forget it, We pledge and we give because the church is God's best hope for the world. The church is God's best hope for the world. A close reading of history will show us, and I mean this, a close reading of history will show us that when God does anything significant in this world, He does it through the church. Not through secular institutions. Not through talk radio. Gosh, not through politics, not through fads, but the church of Jesus Christ. Just read history and you'll see the impact the church has had. I mean, the church was in the inner cities long before the activists were. The church was into education long before the government was. The church broke down the Berlin Wall. Did you know that? The church led the March on Selma, produced Martin Luther King Jr. and the Civil Rights Movement. The church led the War on Poverty. The church is the greatest thing God has going for him in this world. And when God wants to do something significant, he does it through his church. The church is God's best hope for the world. But I know some of you may be thinking, and maybe you have friends who think, Well, Charlie, what about all the bad things the church has done throughout the years? Don't worry, I'll say it for you. Maybe you have relatives or friends who come over, maybe during Thanksgiving. And they sit at the table. They're like, gosh, Lord, just help me get through this dinner with these people. And these people are sometimes your family. And they poo-poo the church and poo-poo the faith. They don't really pray. When you pray before dinner, they keep their eyes open or whatever. And they bring up the same litany all the time about the church. They bring up the Salem witch trials. You know, the Inquisition. the, The corruption of clergy and all that. And you know what I do? If I'm in a mood, which quite often I am, and I hear these folks say this, you know what I say to them? Yeah, that's interesting. Let me ask you this. When you hear of a corrupt cop, do you stop calling 911? Oh, I'm preaching today. When you hear of a doctor who's been unethical and has been arrested, do you stop going to your doctor? When you hear about a medicine that was recalled, do you stop taking your medicine? Heck no! So just because we hear of bad things going on from time to time, does that mean we should stop our faith and stop our habit of going to church? No way! Of course, you may also come across people, and I have many times, who got hurt by the church. And I recognize that. That happens. They got their fingers caught in the machinery of the church somehow. They got on a committee for some reason and someone got angry at them or they got angry with somebody else. And of course, that has never happened at this church, but I'm sure you've heard about it. And they're upset about it and they discover to their horror of horrors that the church is imperfect. Let me let the cat out of the bag for you today, folks. The church is imperfect. And why is that? Because the church 
is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. You don't need a bath if you're clean. Jesus said, I've come to seek and save the lost. And that's who gathers here. All of us need a Savior. All of us need to be saved. Say amen if you need a Savior. I know you're out there. I can hear you snoring. There's no such thing as the perfect church. But I've said it before and I'll say it many times as your preacher or one of your preachers. Quite often you'll find people who are looking for the perfect church. You know, they'll come see us. They'll have their, their long list of questions. You know, is this the perfect church? I want to know. Does this church do everything right? Let me give you my questions. Let me interview you. And whenever I come across people like that, I always say, listen, there's no such thing as the perfect church. But let me tell you this. If you find one and join it, it won't be perfect anymore. They don't like that. The church is not perfect because it's made up of imperfect human beings. And through our weaknesses, the grace and the strength of God is revealed. But I tell you again, the church is still the greatest thing God has going for him in this earth. Or on this earth. And if God's going to do anything significant, he's going to do it through his church. The church is God's best hope for the world. That's why we give. Let me tell you, let me ask you, what other institution in the world can impact lives like the church does? What other institution in the world can impact lives for eternity like the church can? No other institution in the world can do it. God has chosen us to do it. And that's why we pledge and that's why we give. I love the church. I love the church universal and the church local. I love it. I love coming in here every day and especially on Sunday mornings and seeing all your faces, your warm, smiling. I love coming in and seeing our ushers who are so faithful. I love seeing all the children run around as they go to Sunday school. I love, I love seeing all the people who gather and I love being in this sanctuary and seeing these beautiful windows. I tell you, I'll be honest with you, when I come to church on Sunday morning especially, and I drive down Success Avenue, which interestingly enough leads to a body of water. That's another sermon, Success. But when I come down Success Avenue, and I look to the right, and I see this beautiful sanctuary, this beautiful church atop of that little hill, Looking over the lake, I see it as a beacon in our community. And sometimes I get teary-eyed because I think to myself, I get to serve that church. That special church. I love the church universal and the church local. And I tell you, I stand here before you as someone who is here because of God and His church. The church raised me through the nursery and through Sunday school. The church was patient with me and loved me as an awkward teenager. The church supported me and helped me as I felt a call to preach. The church helped me financially, supported me financially through college, through seminary, through my doctoral work. I stand before you because people in the church were giving. That's why I will never apologize for boldly asking you to give your resources And my resources to the church. Because we give, lives are changed. Because we give, people hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Because we give, people in need receive the resources they need. Because we give, lives are transformed by Jesus Christ. That's why we pledge. And that's why we give. You see, the gospel, and this is important for people to know, the gospel is not something that just floats around on its own. No, it is supported and rooted and organized by the church of Jesus Christ. It's easy to get people saved, but the church keeps people saved. Now, don't let that mess up your theology. I believe in once saved, always saved. What I'm saying is, there's no such thing as an isolated Christian. I dare you to show me a growing follower of Jesus Christ who's not active in a local church. I dare you. They don't exist. But sometimes I'll come across people who say, yeah, you're a preacher, but you know, I love Jesus and all, but I don't need to go to church. I can be a Christian without going to church. And I say, sure you can, but not a very good one. Can you be a member of a gym and never go? Yeah, half of America does that. Can you be married and not live with your spouse? Yeah, but after a while, the marriage won't be very good. Amen? Can you be part of a team and never go to practice? Sure, but you're going to let the team down on game day. Besides, if you're not part of a church, and I mean this, you'll never grow as a Christian. Christian maturity will never be attained apart from Christian community. And you can take that to the bank. The Apostle Paul addresses this issue in 1 Corinthians 12. Later today, go read it. He says, the eye can't say to the foot, I have no need of you. And the hand can't say to the eye, I have no need of you. We all play a critical role in the body of Christ. And I've said it before. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're grafted into the church. It's impossible to be a Christian and not be part of the church of Jesus Christ. You're part of the team and you have a position. The church, we're all part of it. All part of the church. And I know in many ways I'm preaching to the choir. I'm preaching to the choir today. I know I am. This church gets it. You get it. You get all this. I mean, not a day goes by hardly when I don't hear from someone who's been impacted by this church in some way. I mean, I'll I'll confess to you, I'm guilty of the sin of pride most weeks. When I hear people talk about this church and what it's done for them. I mean, I was at a restaurant the other day. I was talking with the waitress. Just struck up a conversation and got to know her. And, of course, she asked who I was and what I did, and I told her. And she goes, oh my gosh, you mean the church on Lake Morton? First Methodist? I said, oh yeah, that's right. She goes, you have no idea what that church has meant to me and my family. She talked about her mother, who went to this church and was supported by this church and loved by this church through thick and thin, through difficulty. Then she talked about herself, how she was raised in this church and went with children's ministry and youth ministry and on and on it went. And how at one time the church helped her financially and at another time the church helped her when she went through a death in her family. And then she talked about her kids 
who were also in the youth ministry and the, and the ministry programs, three generations of family impacted by this church. Makes me proud. But let me tell you this. As wonderful as this church is, and it is amazing, as much as it has accomplished, and it has accomplished a lot, I stand on the shoulders of giants. As much as that is true, I believe our greatest years are ahead of us. And how do I know that? Well, Russell Conwell was the president of Temple University. And he was an incredible fundraiser. And he was an incredible fundraiser because he just went around just giving one speech. How lucky he was. I had to come up with a different speech every week, but he gave just one speech. And it was called Acres of Diamonds. And the key part of that speech was a true story about a farmer in Africa who was barely making ends meet. He could hardly survive. And when he went to market, he would hear stories of people who were finding diamonds all over their land. And so he was fed up. And he decided to, to sell his, his farm at a good price and go off and try to find diamonds. And so that's what he did. He sold it for a good price and went off. Well, that new owner of a farm was down by the creek one day and came across this shiny rock. And he picked it up and he said, this is beautiful. I'll think I'll clean it off and put it on my mantle so people can admire it. Well, his friend came over to his house and said, Buddy, that ain't a rock. That's a diamond. And he said, Well, the creek is filled with those things. Did you know that rock diamond became one of the largest diamonds ever found on the land? And that particular farm became one of the largest diamond mines in Africa. Oh, and that old farmer, the former owner, died a pauper trying to look for diamonds somewhere else. First church, there are diamonds all over this church. The diamonds of our music ministry. The diamond of our worship ministry. The diamond of our children's ministry. The the diamond of our youth ministry. The diamond of our laity. When I think of the laity of this church, it boggles the mind. There are diamonds everywhere. Eye has not seen nor ear heard what God's going to do through this church in the future. So can we count you in? This is why we pledge the church is God's best hope for the world. So we need two things from you. First, we need you to pledge. If you've already pledged, thank you so much. If you haven't, we hope you'll do it. So why pledge? Well, first of all, I'd rather be drawn and quartered and get a root canal than sit through a budget meeting without the pledges we need. Amen, Andy? It is the worst. I'd rather go to the dentist, the doctor, anything else. We have to pass a balanced budget. And we need your pledges to do it. But the second thing is this. Your pledge is your covenant with God. It's too important not to make a promise. Here is my pledge. Here is my promise. And we need it. Because I'll be honest, next year's budget is 7% higher than this year's budget. 
And I've said it before and I'll say it again. I've already, we've already turned in our pledge. I would never ask you to do something that I am not willing to do. My wife and I have always given at least 10% of our income to the church. So our pledge is in. And we hope you'll join us. But here's the other thing we need. We need your faith and we need your commitment. Because I'll tell you this, the church is not about you and me. The church is not about my agenda or your agenda. The church is about the communication of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the next generation. The church is about sharing the gospel with people who aren't yet here. The church is about all these children that that run around who one day will need this church as they have their own families. And I'll tell you this, as I look at kids around this church, I see tomorrow in their eyes. Because one day one of them will be called to be a preacher. One day one of them will call be called to be a doctor. One day, maybe one of them, God forbid, will be called to be President of the United States. God help them. But one day, they will need the church. I come in for a landing with this. You remember Zacchaeus? You know, the little wee man was he, little Zacchaeus. It was so short that he had to climb a, a tree to see Jesus. Remember that great story? Zacchaeus was a tax collector and Jesus saw him in that tree and said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming to your house. And Jesus changed his life. He was never the same. Well, there is a legend. You won't find it in the Bible. But there is a legend about Zacchaeus that says it became Zacchaeus' habit to rise early in the morning with a, a rake and shovel and leave the house. And one day he woke up Mrs. Zacchaeus really early and she wasn't happy. And she said, Zacchaeus, what in the world are you doing? And he said, well, sweetheart, you remember that tree I was in when Jesus found me? Well, it it needs my care. You see, it's been neglected by the city fathers. And it, it needs my care. You see, sweetheart, it was the tree that held me so Jesus could find me. For many of you, this church has been the tree that held you so Jesus could find you. This amazing church has been the tree that supported you so Jesus could call you. Now it's your turn. It's our turn to care for this great, big, awesome tree so other folks can be held So Jesus can find them and save them and love them. Why pledge? Why give? Because the church is God's best hope for the world. And this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Let's pray. Eternal God, thank you for this church, for the diamonds all over it. And sparkle and shine in so many special ways. Lord, continue to call us and move us to continue the ministries of this amazing church. Give us a vision. A vision from you, Lord, of all the things you can accomplish through us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming to worship today. We hope it's been a time of meaning and inspiration for you. Uh,
Please receive this benediction. And now may that mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you also. May the love of God, our Heavenly Father, abide with you this day and throughout this week. May the guidance and power of the Holy Spirit fall fresh upon you. And the faith and fellowship of all true disciples of Jesus Christ go with you and sustain you, both now and forevermore. Amen.